This is a reading from the book of Micah. Micah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them, and houses, and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster. In that day they shall take up a taunt song against you, and moan bitterly, and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate, he allots our fields. Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off, my, off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Micah 6, verses 3 to 8. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent you before Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You'll show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. The word of the Lord. So 
Before we look at what Micah the prophet has to say to us, I was asked to give a little context on where Micah is in the Bible right now. So before the beginning, God was there. And in the beginning, God created mankind in his own image. He didn't have to, but he did it so that we would worship him, enjoy fellowship with him, and ultimately bring glory to him. But with the disobedience of Adam and Eve, sin entered the world. Mankind was cut off from God's presence, and we were headed toward an eternal separation from God. But God had a plan to redeem us. And because sin entered the world through a man, God planned to redeem us through a man. God himself would come down and dwell among us as the man Jesus Christ, who ultimately would pay the ultimate price for our sins. So God makes a promise to a man named Abraham that this Messiah will be born through his lineage. And throughout history, Satan tried his very best to disrupt God's plan by derailing this chosen people. Despite the failures of the Israelites, God continued to keep his promise and come through for them, even delivering them from slavery. And with God's help, the Israelites eventually made it to a promised land. And after some time, Israel rejected the way God was leading them and asked for an earthly king like all the other nations around them. And that's when one after another, Saul and David and Solomon come onto the scene and rule Israel as its king. However, something happens after the reign of King Solomon. As a result of idolatry and political unrest over taxes, Israel broke up into two nations, the northern kingdom of Israel with its capital of Samaria and the southern kingdom of Judah with its capital of Jerusalem. So that's where we are now, as Micah is sent by God to prophesy to his people. Thank you, Gil. I thought that was very helpful to give a little context to where Micah is, right? Let's just give a round of applause to Gil for that. <clears throat> um, as you guys have noticed, we're having some technical issues. Uh, but fortunately, the only slide that I had prepared was the title. So I'm going to take a page out of Pastor Finn's book. I want you to turn to your neighbors and ask, what is greater than God's judgment? No, I, I didn't hear you guys. Turn to your neighbors and ask, what is greater than God's judgment? All right, and the, and, and the bright side of, our, of the fact that we're having technical issues is that, you know, I was asked to preach a whole book in 30 minutes, but now there's no timer up there. That's going to be dangerous. No, I'm just kidding. All right, guys, let's just open up with the word of prayer as we look at God's word. Uh, Father God, we thank, you. we thank you for the privilege to have scripture in front of us. As we open up your word, Lord God, we expect that you will speak to us in these moments. At this time, Lord, we give you our ear. And as you speak to us, we hope that you would also have our heart. Father God, I pray that you would use me to speak with clarity and speak effectively. Would you empower me with your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. So at the height of the pandemic, there was this disruption in our lives, right? You know, the things that we enjoyed regularly were affected. So now because of the pandemic, we have a newfound appreciation for things like science and technology and toilet paper and hand sanitizer and Lysol wipes, right? 
But because of the pandemic, the things that we used to take for granted, we actually are, have begun to cherish it a bit more. You know, things like seeing other people's faces or hugging your family member or meeting with your friends, being in church in, church in person. You know, things like that, things that we took for granted, we actually have a bit more appreciation for because of the pandemic. Uh, Curtis Jackson said, sunny days wouldn't be special if it wasn't for rain. Joy wouldn't feel so good if it wasn't for pain. Come on, you guys listen to 50 Cent, or you used to, right? All right. In the book of Micah, we hear a message of judgment and punishment for the sins of the people mainly for the sins that they were committing against each other. But we also hear this message of judgment and mercy. Oftentimes, we don't appreciate God's mercy unless we're reminded of His judgment. We take for granted the loving kindness of God because we're so quick to forget how greatly we needed His mercy. As the book of Micah begins, we have these two nations. We have Israel in the north and we have Judah in the south. And both of these nations have strayed from God's ways. And God has continued to send prophets to speak to them and to bring them back to him. And so Micah primarily spoke to the, the southern kingdom of Judah. But in the beginning of his ministry, he also has a word for the northern kingdom of Israel. He tells them that they will be taken into captivity by Assyria because of their idolatry. And mo but, but understand this, most of the book of Micah is directed towards the southern kingdom of Judah. Micah's ministry lasted for 50 years. Micah preached at least 20 different times, but his words, they were taken and compiled and organized into three parts or three messages. And each message is a word from God. And it is not what God has said, but it is what God is still saying to us today. So let's take a look at what God has to say to us through Micah. So chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. And I'm going to read it because I want you to see that this is really there. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore... Thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks. And you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster. Micah's first message is directed to everybody, to all the people. He tells them that destruction is coming. Babylon is coming to destroy your nation and to take you into captivity. This was God's judgment because the people had been sinning. And sinning against one another. This was God's judgment against them. Why? Because they were taking advantage of the poor and the weak. Those who were financially stable in society had been plotting to gain even more wealth at the cost of those who had less. They looked at people as a paycheck. People who had less were being exploited for gain. They lied on their work papers just to make a bit more money off of other people. They took advantage of those who were less educated. They manipulated their parents so they could walk away wealthier. They set up good men to fall so they could secure their own bag. They threw mothers and children out in the streets so they could take their homes. 
The rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. Those who couldn't fend for themselves were stuck in oppression. Wait, is that what was happening then or is that what's happening now? It sounds very familiar, right? Look, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be financially secure, but if it's coming at the cost of other people, then that's a problem. It says here that these people had power in their hand, but they used that power to do evil. Now, most of us here may not be plotting against those who are less fortunate, but we too have power in our hand. We have the opportunity to do good, but we withhold it. And the, and, and the Bible teacher says in James that if you know the good you ought to do and you do not do it, God calls that sin. Once again, there's nothing wrong with investing into stocks or crypto or buying virtual land. But when it comes at the cost of other people, that's a problem. When, when our hearts are apathetic to those who are weak and poor, that is a problem. It, there's nothing wrong in buying another watch or a handbag or adding another pair of sneakers to our collection. But if all we do for the poor and the weak is post on social media, then there is something wrong in our heart. We have fallen into sin. So does our heart reflect the heart of God? Does our heart reflect the heart of God? What is God's heart? Well, in Deuteronomy 15, God's heart is demonstrated when he says, there should be no poor among you. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend to him whatever he needs. You see, God's desire is that we care for those who are in need. But our own self-interest has kept us from doing good. As I examined my own heart, three reasons came to my mind of why we withhold the good that we're able to do. Number one, it is just so inconvenient to us to stop and help those who need our financial support or our time or our energy. It's, in, it's inconvenient. And we, and, and we decide that we don't want anything to affect our personal comforts. Or number two, some of us are just unaware to the needs around us. We don't realize that there are real people right here in our neighborhoods and even in our church that actually need help. As I go in and out of people's houses all day for work, I actually get to see firsthand a lot of this poverty around us. I get to see people who live and have all their belongings in one single room. I see people that, that have no AC in the summer. They turn the stove on to keep warm in the winter. I see kids that are left alone with their disabled grandparents while their single mother has to work all day and they, they, they survive off of hot dogs every day. These are just stories that are happening right here around us. Imagine if you will, we're playing a game of Monopoly and now we're in about 14 rounds. So we passed go and we collected $200 about 14 times. And we also started to take up property on the board. But now there's some new folks that want to join the game. And because they joined so late to the game, they're at this disadvantage. They'll never be able to catch up. Even if they collect a measly $200, 
most of the resources and the opportunities have already been taken up. In this church, we have people that have come late to the game as well. They don't have the right resources or the right people or the right abilities. And so it's very difficult for them to survive on the board. They may have the opportunity to play, but because they're at such a disadvantage, they are stuck where they are. And I don't mean just financially. They're stuck financially, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. And when you start to build community with the people in this church, you will start to realize that there are people here who are going through different seasons of trials. And you may be the one who has the power and the opportunity to help them, to, to alleviate some of the pain or the hopelessness or the hardship that they're going through. You have power in your hand to help your fellow brothers and sisters, but that does not happen if you keep each other at an arm's length. And number three, and this is where I feel like I fall into a lot. I believe that there are many of us here who are who don't concern ourselves with the weak, the disadvantaged, or the poor because we have completely resigned ourselves. I think that we look at the world and we see how broken it is and it just completely overwhelms us. That it, it, It's so overwhelming that we become so numb to it. That all we do is fold up our arms and we wait for God to come because we feel like nothing is going to change. But on the other side of the spectrum... It doesn't mean that you have to feel guilty every time you can't fight for a person or a cause either. Let me ask you a question. Can you and I bear every cry around us? Not at all. There's no heart that can bear the, the, the fullness of all the suffering that is going on in the world. Except for the heart of God. And so God takes that great unbearable burden of the world and he breaks it down into small pieces and he places a small piece in every one of your hearts. A preacher once said, you will never lighten any load unless you feel the pressure in your own soul. You will never lighten any load unless you feel the pressure in your own soul. For Micah, growing up in a small farm town, he saw poverty and oppression firsthand. It was something very close to his heart. And the Holy Spirit was able to use him to speak up against that oppression and injustice. Understand this, God has allowed you to go through some experiences so that you would be able to comfort others going through similar stories as well. Rather than giving you the, the weight of the world, God has uniquely placed a small burden in each of your hearts. And he has also given you the Holy Spirit to empower you to make a difference. And maybe for some of you, it might be those who are being oppressed by poverty. But for others, it might be those who are struggling as single parents. For others, it might be the orphan or the widow. For some of you, it might be those who don't have clean water. For some of you, it might be those who are being oppressed by racial injustice. And for others, it might be those who are physically and developmentally delayed or disabled. And for others, it might be sex trafficking or sexual abuse victims. And for some, it might be literally those who have no voice, the unborn. And for others, God may be calling you to minister to those who are being oppressed for their sexual orientation. 
Because here at this church, when we say we're pro-life, we mean from the womb to the tomb. Because it is God who determines life. And to Him, every life is valuable. Now, could you imagine what a difference we would make if we all acted on that small burden that God places on our heart? But how many of us silence and ignore that burden? How many of us grieve the heart of God by withholding the good that we have the power to do? The punishment for Judah's sin is that God would be sending Babylon to take them into captivity. But even though the judgment is severe, God's mercy is greater. Because God promises to preserve them. He promises to bring them back into their land one day. He promises to deliver them from Babylon. He will not cut them off. And He will not forsake them. The truth is, our own selfish ambitions, our self-interests, and our appetites at the neglect of others also deserve God's punishment. When we grieve the heart of God by withholding the good that we're able to do, we also need judgment. Judgment falls on us, but the good news is that even though judgment is severe, there's something greater than that, and that is God's mercy. God hates our sins so much that Jesus had to die to bring justice. But God also loves us so much that Jesus had to die to bring us mercy. Although our sins are many, His mercy is more. Salvation, not judgment, has the last word here. Listen, I could stop right here, but Micah has a couple more messages, so let's keep going. After this message, Micah turns his attention toward the leaders of the nation. He has something to say to the political and religious leaders of his time. Look what he says, and I'm reading it because I want you to see how Micah describes the situation. Chapter 3, 1 to 4 and 9 to 11. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil who tear the skin off my people and the flesh off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay the skin off of them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its rulers give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is the Lord not in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Look, Micah calls out the rulers, the judges, the prophets, the priest, Micah calls out all the leaders in this nation. He tells them that God's judgment is coming. They're about to lose their land, lose everything they own, their houses, their belongings. Babylon is coming to take them away. And when they call out to God, he will turn his ear away from them. When they call out to God, he will turn his face away from them. Because their sin was so great, 
These political and religious leaders have taken advantage of the people that they were supposed to serve. These leaders don't speak truth. They speak what the people want to hear. They say and do things that serve themselves. Micah compares them here to cannibals, the way they feed on the people that they're supposed to serve. They've used the people for their own good, to further their own agendas, to cement their own legacy. Now, we don't have people like that in our government, right? Listen, our government is very flawed. And our country is also very divided. And unfortunately, our church is also becoming divided because of politics. But instead of being divided on politics, we should be united by seeking what the heart of God is. Look, if you think your political party is fully aligned to the heart of God, I urge you to reconsider. Pastor Rich Velotis, he says, the church is not to be found at the center of a left-right political world. The church is to be a species of its own kind, confounding both left and right and finding its identity in the center of God's life. Our allegiance should not be to a political party. Our allegiance should be to God. If you get upset because someone critiques your political party, then it may be an idol to you. As long as people are involved, every party falls short of the glory of God. For those who feel, help, for those who feel hopeless about our broken systems, God has good news. If you feel the weight of injustice, God has good news. To the oppressors and to the oppressed, God has a message. It is that God has not turned a blind eye to any of this. Even if it seems like it, God has not turned a blind eye. To the oppressors, God brings judgment. And to the oppressed, God brings mercy. After Micah tells the people of their coming judgment, Micah then reminds the people that God's mercy is greater. When God promised Abraham that he would preserve his people, God intended to keep that promise. He promises to bring Israel back into their land one day. When God promised David that his kingdom would reign forever, he intended to keep that promise. He, he reminds Israel that he will keep his promise to give them a righteous ruler. God's mercy is new every morning. His compassion never fails. And great is his faithfulness. A day is coming when God will fulfill his promise. God reminds his people that a king is coming. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is coming back and he will set up his kingdom. He will make all things new and he will reign all nations with justice and compassion. The Bible promises that there will be no more pain and sorrow, only joy. There will be no more hatred and war, only peace. At that time, there will be no more sickness or death, only life. The more hopeless we feel now, the greater our hope is in him. The more broken it is now, the more we long for Jesus to come. And when you follow Jesus, you can believe that he keeps his promises. 
The White House may fail you, but God will not. Your political party may fail you, but God will not. Judges may fail you, but God will not. Your community leaders may fail you, but God will not. Social activists may fail you, but God will not. Your pastors may fail you, but God will not. I hope I don't get in trouble for that one. <laughs> Micah not only addresses the political leaders here, he also addresses the religious leaders as well. He has a message for those who lead here as well. He has a message for every pastor here, every ministry leader, every community group leader, every event organizer, everyone that aspires to be a leader here. God has a question for you today. And that question is, are you more concerned about your own personal dreams rather than the people you are positioned to serve? Let me say that again. Are you more concerned about your own personal dreams rather than the people you are positioned to serve? David Guzik comments on this passage. He says, the people never exist for the sake of the leaders, but the leaders are there for the sake of the people. A leader should never serve God's people dominated by the question, what is in it for me? Because when they do, they become cannibalistics. Cannibalistic. Even as I get ready to preach, I have to wrestle with my own flesh. I have to examine my own heart. I have to ask myself questions and I have to repent of my own sin. What am I more concerned about? Is it validation? Or am I concerned about the lives of the people that I'm serving? Am I sacrificing my time to receive applause? Or am I sacrificing my time to serve God's people? If I really believe that God is the only one that can transform your hearts, how much time do I really spend in praying for you? Leaders, you are here for the sake of those you serve. Let me share with you three questions that I think church leaders in every church should be asking themselves. I think it will help, you, help us to assess whether we are doing this for ourselves or for the people that we serve. Number one, am I chasing a dream on my own, not realizing that God is not in it? Am I chasing a dream on my own while realizing, not realizing that God is not in it? Because look, what, look, look how Micah describes the leaders of his time. He says, Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. These leaders were convinced that they were doing God's work. But they did not realize that God had withdrawn from them. How often do we make decisions and then we hope that God will bless it? Rather than prayerfully discerning the decisions that God has already blessed. Number two. Am I aiming for multiplication at the cost of maturity? Am I aiming for multiplication at the cost of maturity? We all want to see the fruit of our labor. And when people see the fruit of our labor, labor it legitimizes the ministry that we're serving in. Now, whether it be the church in general or a specific ministry that you are leading or serving in, ask yourself, are you aiming for multiplication at the cost of maturity? Let me just put it in simple words. I'm talking about discipleship. 
Yes, we want to see fruit. But what good is it if it has not matured? Who wants a harvest full of bananas that are not ripe, apples that are not sweet, and watermelons the size of grapes? What good is that? Am I aiming for multiplication at the cost of maturity? Number three, do I only connect with those who help me to advance my own agenda? Do I only make time for those who benefit me? Would we still make the effort to connect with people if we knew that they had nothing to offer us? Look, I admit, I am guilty of this myself. And I also know how it feels to be on the receiving end of it. I recently spoke to a friend who's a builder, and he was telling me, he was like, Happy, there are tools in my toolbox that I take out only when I need them. If I need a hammer, I take it out, I use it, and I put it back. If I need a wrench, I take it out, I use it, and I put it back. And it stays in the toolbox until I need it again. And then he said, happy, I feel like a tool at my church. They only talk to me when they need me. And when they don't, they put me back in the box. Leaders, you are here for the sake of those you serve. If you aspire to do any sort of ministry, remember, you are there for the sake of those you serve, to care for them, to disciple them, and to equip them for the ministry. Jesus is our model of a perfect leader. Jesus is God, Jesus is King, but we still see his servanthood. Even though his title is of King, his function is that of a servant. The picture of Jesus washing the disciples' feet comes to mind. Or the way he gives his life to sacrifice for us. When we fall short of the glory of God, not if, but when we fall short, Micah calls us to repentance. Repentance is not just acknowledging that we're wrong and then, ask, and then saying we're sorry, but true repentance is addressing the beliefs that are causing us to keep making the same mistakes. True repentance is addressing the beliefs that we have in our heart that causes us to fall into the same mistakes. Um, anyone here have arachnophobia? Oh, Lisa? All right, arachnophobia is the, is the fear of spiders, all right? Is anybody, is anybody afraid of spiders here? I'm deathly afraid of spiders, and I'm, I'm about to tell you why. But if I'm driving and I see a spider in my car, I'm pulling over. And I'm pulling over, I'm getting out of the car, and I'm lighting my car on fire. Like, that's how afraid I am, all right? Because when I was 19, I was bit by a spider. And I know somebody's thinking about Spider-Man here, but listen. I was bit by a spider. I had this white blister on my leg. That white blister ended up turning into this like large yellow area on my leg. By the time that yellow area turned purple, I had a hard time putting weight on my leg. I could barely walk. So I took myself to the doctor and I was able to get uh, antibiotics to, to, you know, to fight the infection. But could you imagine that if I, that I did not go to the doctor and I wrapped my leg in a bandage and I kept moving? Could you imagine what trouble I'd be in if I only addressed the outside and not what was really going on on the inside? Repentance is not about addressing our superficial actions. Repentance is about addressing the false beliefs that we hold that drive our actions. 
as leaders and as people in general, we are all looking for acceptance and security and significance and influence. We're all looking for that. But if we look for all of that or any of that outside of Christ, they will always end up being a fleeting pursuit. The gospel is the only place where we find a solution for what our hearts long for. Jesus died and rose again so that he could give us security that you don't have to keep up a certain image. Maybe your efforts don't produce much fruit, but guess what? You are still unconditionally accepted and loved by God despite that. The cross has made us his children and we find our significance in what God says and thinks about us. He gives us meaningful work to do on earth that has lasting results into eternity. And he gives us influence through his spirit to accomplish the work that he gives us. So you might ask sitting here, why should I repent if I'm already saved? Fair question. Because when you repent, the joy of your relationship with God is restored. You become more sensitive to his spirit. Your heart will continue to be more aligned to his heart and you will be conformed to the image of Christ. In the book of Jeremiah, we learn that King Hezekiah listened to the words of Micah and the nation repented and turned back to God. Judah was spared for a hundred years before Babylon came. There was revival in the land because they obeyed the word of God. In every person's life, there is an altar and a throne. And I think as leaders, if we could place God on the throne and ourselves on the altar, we would also be able to see revival happening around us. And now Micah's about to wrap up his last message. Micah's last message is to all the people. I believe the worship team can come up and get ready now. In chapter 6, verse 3, we see God saying, Oh my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. In this last message, God reminds the people of his good works on their behalf. How he cared for them when they only cared for themselves. He reminds them that time and time again that he came to, his rest for, to their rescue. And even when they turned their backs on him, he continues to stretch his arm out to them. In this entire book of Micah, we see God bringing judgment on the people for their terrible sin. But even before all of that, God has already placed a plan in motion. God has already planned to rescue them. His judgment is great, yes, but his mercy is greater. Although they sinned and judgment is coming, God is faithful to keep his promise to restore them, to redeem them, to bring them back to their land. He doesn't leave them in fear of judgment, but he continues to offer mercy to those who would turn their hearts back to him. In chapter 6, as we see one of the most famous passages in the Bible, Micah tells the people, God is not looking for your burnt offerings. God is not looking for your animals. God doesn't even want your firstborn child. What is it that God wants? He really desires that we would do justice, that we would love kindness 
and that we, we would walk humbly with him. And all of these things, justice and kindness and humility, they all start in our heart. God is more concerned about our heart than what we can offer him. God is concerned about the posture of our heart. It has never been about what you can do for God or how many people you've helped, how many ministries you were a part of, how many times you went to church. All those things are important, but none of those things will get you into God's good graces. What really matters is if your heart has been cleansed and redeemed through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're his child, God cannot love you any more than he does right now. Whether you help somebody in need or not, whether you're a great leader or not, God will not love you any less. God cannot love you any more than he does right now. We don't do these things so that we could secure uh, God's love for us. We do all these things from a place of being secure in his love. Now, there are some of you that have been coming to church for years and you've been trying to do the right thing. You've been trying to do good so you can right your wrongs. You've been trying to get on God's good side, trying to get God to love you more, not realizing that when you accept the free gift of salvation through Jesus, he cannot be more delighted in you than he is right now. Micah closes the book in chapter 7 by asking, Is there anyone like God? He has pardoned our wrongs. He doesn't remain angry with us. He delights in love. He has compassion on us. And he has cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. If you are a believer... God has given you the righteousness of Christ, meaning that when God looks at you, he sees your sin no longer. God looks at you and sees Jesus Christ, perfect and sinless. He took your sin and he threw it into the depths of the sea and he is not going to go looking for it. I don't know who needs to hear this, but God has good news for you today. You are no longer judged on what you have done or what you have not done. You are no longer judged on what you will do or what you won't do. If you have accepted Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, you are no longer judged. You have been given mercy through Jesus Christ. Now Micah may be a minor prophet, but he delivers a major prophecy. He teaches us that God is just, but his mercy is greater. Let's bow our heads. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who convicts us, but also comforts us. We thank you that you are a God of judgment, but also mercy. And we are so grateful today that mercy triumphs over your judgment. Father God, in light of all that we've heard today, would you help us, would you empower us to do justice a little bit more, to love kindness a little bit more, and to walk a bit more humbly with you. 
than when we first sat down in these pews. In Jesus' name, amen.